0: this this is actually a pretty fantastic movie, in my opinion, today.
1: It is. It's a great movie. And it's another example of the studio kicking around and just fucking everything up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: actually, about 40% of this movie never made it to the screen and got reshot after the fact. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about the 1992 sci fi film Free Jack. That in a dystopian future where the super-rich have figured out how to live forever by having their minds implanted in a new, younger, healthy body. The only problem is there are no healthy bodies in the world where pollution and drug use run rampant. So they hire people called bonejackers to reach back through time and space and snatch people away just the instant before they die. This is based on the story Immortality, Inc. by acclaimed sci-fi author Robert Sheckley. Robert Sheckley is known for writing the novelization of Babylon 5, Call to Arms, as well as books set in the worlds of Deep Space Nine and Alien. His novel Dimension of Miracles is often cited as an influence for Douglas Adams' The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I love that book. Oh, man, who doesn't? Hitchhiker's Rules, man. Yeah, was made on a budget of $30 million and completely failed at the box office. It grows $17 million in the U.S. and another $20 million worldwide, so it ended up losing money. Movies Rated R runs an hour and 50 minutes and has a 26% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Audience, as always, disagrees with the critics. They gave it a 25% rating.
1: (laughs) I can see where the critics come from, but like it was
0: never meant to be like a really deep movie, you know? That's the thing. It kind of acts like it wants to be, but then it also acts like it wants to be just another car chase movie.
1: See, that's what happened was like, all right, so like in that age, like they were taking like really deep sci fi novels. Yeah, Like uh, what's his name that did like Blade Runner and shit? Yeah. Philip K. Dick. All right. They take a Philip K. Dick movie, they cast Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then they add a lot of actions and then you get total recall. Exactly. All right. So they were like, Oh man, let's do that total recall money. They take a sci-fi book, different author, same kind of thing, you know. Uh cast Emilio S of instead of an action guy because he wanted to be a smart thinking man instead of like a big muscular guy. Yeah. You know, you get ever <laughs> And like Emilio is hot. He just came off Young Guns 2. Right. You know, so he he's got the charisma to kind of pull it off. And then it was like, yeah, we're gonna make, you know, smart man's total recall, right? Cool. That sounds cool, right? And yeah. then studio heads fucking pretty much the guy, the CEO of Morgan Creek is like, This is bullshit. I want more action. You know, I want more funny dialogue, I want more action. Uh, I want I want to replace this chick. Even though you already started filming, I want to replace this chick because I don't think she's hot enough. Yeah. Like, he actually said that. She's like, why are you going to replace her? We already started filming. He's like, and this is a direct quote from his mouth. She doesn't give me a boner. Like, what <laughs> fuck? He actually said that in a business meeting. So yeah. he's like, da, da, da. And then he wanted to be, like, rock and roll, high octane, like, soundtrack.
0: Yeah. yeah. So,
1: like, that guy just now, kept on
0: fucking this movie up. I don't hate the soundtrack. Oh, yeah, no. They, they actually kind of
1: met in the middle on that. Actually, but I'll, tell you, I'll guy... tell
0: you why. I'll tell you why I don't hate the soundtrack Uh, in, in a little bit. We're going to get to that. Uh, main reason critics hated this movie, Uh, Owen Gleiberman at Entertainment Weekly described it as a routine urban chase thriller with sci-fi gimmicks and a cheap mishmash of Blade Runner, RoboCop, and Total Recall. So, yeah, everything you just said. Yeah.
1: And it was like the running man or some shit because all the chasing, it was just like chase. chase. You get like a five-minute dialogue scene where they're in a dark room, and the next thing you know, everybody's got a stupid-looking car that looks like a pantyhoe egg, and they're driving down the street. They look like
0: go karts with sheet metal riveted to them.
1: But, like, they blew the sheet metal into, like, a big bubble. Yeah. They're stupid-looking, man. It's just, oh, God.
0: Well, now, the defunct now comics, the same people who adapted Fright Night and Married with Children to comic books, they produced a three-part comic book version of this in 1992. So, there's that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Man,
0: I used to collect a bunch of those comics, right? Because yeah.
1: like, Now, that was like their whole thing was like they would just get the rights to something and then just print out dribble using those characters, right? Right. And uh yeah they had a lot of stupid movie comics, a lot of cartoon comics that were just right. Strange. Our work was cool.
0: The movie was directed by Jeff Murphy. Jeff Murphy also uh produced directed The Quiet Earth, Young Guns 2, Under Siege 2 Dark Territory, and he was a second unit assistant director for The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring.
1: Yeah. Uh he was a big inspiration to Peter Jackson. And so like when Peter finally got up to where he could call some shots, he brought that guy in because it was like the stepping stones that led Peter Jackson to be, you know, Peter Jackson.
0: Speaking of Peter Jackson, I watched Killer Clowns from Outer Space last night. I fucking love that movie. (laughs) It reminded me so much of Peter Jackson.
1: Yeah. You know, they're making a sequel to that. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's been in the works for like decades, and they came really close. Sci-fi was going to pick it up and make a uh, TV show right. out of it, right? But they they did the Critters TV show first, and that killed any chance of them continuing it. Oh God, yeah. So, but yeah. the the directors they're gone through. they they've uh, they've got a lot of shit in the winds right now, and uh, it's getting closer and closer. They want to make a like a, a modern age 3D movie.
0: Yeah. But yeah, it reminded me, those clown masks reminded me a lot of the alien masks in Bad Taste. Yeah, do you know that a lot of those clown masks were, um, they were
1: repainted and used in Ernest Scared Stupid. I don't doubt it. Yeah, because it was the same makeup company.
0: Movie was written by Steven Pressfield, who gave us King Kong Lives, Above the Law, and The Legend of Bagger Vance, and Ronald Shusett who gave us the Alien franchise and Total Recall. Yeah. This is the part that I love. Cinematographer, Amir Mockery, Because some of this movie is really good. Some of this movie oh, yeah. is absolute shit. It looks good and, for being a piece of
1: shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They filmed it in
0: Atlanta. They did. And, and then used some CGI stuff and, and stock footage to make it look like New York. But Amir Makri Gay is also known as the either cinematographer or director of photography for Man of Steel, Transformers Age of Extinction, Fast and Furious, and a movie that we talked about in episode 66, The Salton Sea. Oh man, hell yeah. Music by Trevor Jones. This guy has been responsible for the scores to some of my all-time favorite movies including Labyrinth, Time Bandits, Dark Crystal, Mississippi Burning, and he also scored Arachnophobia, Cliffhanger, G.I. Jane, and I, Robot. That's a, that's a hefty
1: list. There's like five in there that I fucking love, man.
0: I love Time Bandits. I've always loved I, Time Bandits. That
1: is a great movie, man.
0: It really is. It's a kid movie, but it's not a kid movie in the same way The NeverEnding Story is a kid movie. Yeah, what's this,
1: uh, that's what's his name, right? From *Monty
0: Python*, it did that. Uh, Terry Gilliam.
1: Yeah, yeah, that guy's fucking nuts, man. I love his shit. He's so yes. imaginative,
0: himself. even though he really is. He is. He I can't imagine food. what it's like to be inside his head all the time. Jesus Christ, it's like a nut house. <laughs> <laughs> Movie stars: Emilio Estevez is Alex Furlong. We talked about Emilio in *Repo Man*. He's the man, man. Oh, also in Breakfast Club, Maximum Overdrive, Young Guns, and the Mighty Ducks franchise. In the same year that this movie was released, he also starred with his brother Charlie Sheen in Men at Work.
1: That's a great movie. They don't. I mean, I like. I, I love the shit out of it. It's like a cool little crime drama or crime comedy like thing. Yeah, but uh, I don't know.
0: Next up, we got Mick Jagger as Victor Vesendik. Mick Jagger, best known as the frontman for the Rolling Stones, but every five to ten years, Mick decides he wants to be an actor. Yeah. Only to be reminded that he's really bad at acting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he ain't even really acting in this shit. No, no. He's just playing think...
1: a teleprompter, you know.
0: I kind of think, you know, most of his dialogue is just a single sentence between cuts. And I think that's done so that they can coach him extensively on how to deliver that single sentence and then cut.
1: Right. So like when they made the movie, they were like, uh, we're we're getting William Dafoe for this. They they like kind of wrote it with him in mind. Right. You know, and they're like, Oh man, it's gonna be so great. He's so, you know, and he could deliver Kind of comical lines, very seriously, right? You know, it's William Defoe. So, and then like early in the process, they're like he's out, you know. And so then they brought in Mick Jagger, and so like, oh man, yeah, he's yeah. just reading the teleprompter, and and the dialogue is supposed to be kind of like funny and staring
0: you know? straight into the camera too.
1: Oh God, yeah, no, <laughs> oh,
0: the video corner
1: <laughs> case. Yeah, no, all right, we'll get into that. But, but anyway, yeah. uh,
0: what the hell you doing, Mick? What are you yeah. doing, man? Oh, nice. And he, guys, uh,
1: he got his old lady in the movie, too.
0: Yeah. Mick actually auditioned for the role of Dr. Frank N. Furter in the Rocky Horror Picture Show back in 1975. That would have been um, Fortunately, fortunately, he was passed over in favor of Tim Curry. Thank God. Yeah. Would have ruined a, a cult classic. There's no way I would have watched that movie over 400 times. If Tim Kerr, if uh, if uh, Mick Jagger was in it. No way. No way in hell. Mick Jagger would later go on to form Jagged Films, which released the World War II drama Enigma starring Kate Winslet and, well, also made a documentary about himself. Because what's the point of having a film production company if you're not going to make movies about yourself? Man, some people. Rene Russo as Julie Redland. She's a very prolific actor in the 90s. Appeared in Major League, Legal, Lethal Weapon 3, Outbreak, Ransom, Tim, Tin Cup. More recently, she's been appearing in Marvel films. She was in Thor, The Dark World, Nightcrawler, and Avengers Endgame. Yeah, she played Thor's mom. Yeah. Which is weird, considering who's in this movie. And Anthony Hopkins as Ian McCandless. Anthony Hopkins, of course, from Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, and the HBO series Westworld, which it apparently is, also... is getting a movie. Really? Yeah. It was I don't know story. why. I, I mean, it yeah, it was good. Like the first didn't... two seasons were good. Yeah. The third season tried to be kind of like The Matrix. And just, no, just stop.
1: I, I got halfway through the season three. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. And then my HBO got cut off. So it's probably good. Yeah. I never going to finish that up. But I don't think Anthony Hopkins played Thor's dad. Nice. Yeah. So you got his mom and dad in this
0: movie. Now I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to admit something here. I haven't seen any superhero movies ever since Val Kilmer was Batman. Really? None of them. Eh,
1: it's hit and miss. I, I kind of like the Marvel movies, but, yeah, I'm starting to get, you know, really uh burned out on them. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I'll still watch them. I'm just not going to the theater to watch them, you know? Right. It's just, they do everything now. It's movies and TV shows and shit, and it's like, ah, eh, come on, man, give me a break.
0: Yeah. Kind of like but, when Star uh, Trek was on four nights a week. Eh, no. I, I would watch <laughs> Star Trek four nights a week, man. <laughs> I did, too,
1: but still. Like, that, you, you can't get, I mean, I don't know, especially that old truck, you know?
0: Yeah. And finally, Jonathan Banks as Mark Michelet. Jonathan Banks, of course, from was in Airplane, 48 Hours, and Gremlins. He was the hospital guard electrocuted by John Lazardo in The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Fucking A, man. He was in all 74 episodes of the Las Vegas mobster drama, Wise Guy. I loved that show. Also appeared as the leader of a warring faction on a Gamma Quadrant penal colony moon in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Gotta have a Star Trek connection in every movie we watch.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's either uh, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, or Power Rangers. Or, yeah.
0: And he's probably best known for playing fixer Mike Ehrmantraut on the AMC series Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Oh, yeah. Movie opens up with a title sequence as a bunch of geometric shapes shift across the screen to form the title of the movie as suspenseful drumming and sad saxophone music plays. There was a time when every movie started like that—just geometric shapes drifting across the screen, and then they come together to form letters like a jigsaw puzzle.
1: Yeah, uh, I don't know who did that shit. I guess it's like just uh, title artists, like in I liked it when, like in the eighties, it was always like some kind of crazy-ass animated cartoon that yeah. were like reenacting scenes, like a uh, mannequin and shit, like that crazy cartoon shit. But yeah, yeah they. A lot, a lot of people start doing, it. I call them like puzzle title sequences. Yeah. yeah, especially in spy movies, man, they love that shit.
0: Yeah, they definitely do. Well, Bond would do that when you see the barrel of the gun going across the screen, and then it would reveal the silhouette of the woman.
1: Yeah, but they had silhouettes of women and shit. You know, this is yeah, just that's like true. Weird ass cut up shapes, and then oh uh, yeah, okay, I can see that's a word, and then next credit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Meanwhile, in a quiet home, two alarm clocks are going off to wake up Alec. His girlfriend is trying to wake him up. She is very excited about his race. He's lazy, which is like the exact opposite of any high fer- high performance, super competitive person.
1: Yeah. Like in Total Recall, like the guy gets up every day and goes work like instruction and shit. And this guy is like a race car driver that, you know, can't even be bothered to get out of bed and shit, you know? Right. Joe, yeah. everyman crazy
0: back and forth between character introductions, as Alex prepares for his IndyCar car race and this road warrior type convoy as it crashes through a shanty town, sort of actually, they just kind of tear down somebody's clothesline as they drive past a shack. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a low-res computer generated map of Manhattan des- divided into safe zones, unsecured sectors, and zones that are only safe during daylight hours. Then we get to watch Alex taking a practice lap in his pretty pink Formula 1 car. <laughs> I mean it was it was early 90s so I guess you know what yeah, that was around the time that all of the all of the um all the hospitals and doctors' offices were were designating women's clinics and just painting everything pink in those sectors of the of the building. Yeah, pepto,
1: hisvall pink. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Afterward, Julie is just gushing over him, and he tells her he won't race unless she nibbles his ear right there in front of everybody, and that kind of turns into a tender moment because, ah. Meanwhile, the caravan have reached their destination and displaced villagers as they get everything set up. This is where we introduce Brad Carter. Brad is, like, I guess he's Alex's manager. He wants to introduce him to some potential sponsors. Brad is paid, played by David Johansson of the New York Dolls, a.k.a. Buster Poindexter.
1: Yeah, I was gonna. I was wondering if you are going to bring him up. I love that guy, man. He's yeah, great. I do, too. <laughs> Love the New York Dolls. Uh, it, what was it? He was in Scrooge as a Ghost of Christmas Past. Right, great dude. Weird, weird yeah. guy. Great dude.
0: So bizarre. Yeah, and oh, yeah. age has not age hasn't mellowed him any at all. He's still a weird ass. Or oh, he's like a vampire, you know. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Bone Jacker caravan is in position as Alex gets ready to start his race. The Bone Jackers are focused on a bridge. Over the race course, got a Nissan sign on it, a little product placement there, along with champion spark plugs. Nice to meet you, Mr. Plug. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've created a 3D image of the driver removing the car. The race begins, and the bone jackers fire up their laser perimeter. Apparently, in order to travel through time and grab somebody, you've got to have a laser outline of a pyramid around your vehicle. Yeah, I like, like, I don't know, like, the
1: the way they explain the shit, like, they're just kidnapping people that, like, a second before they die and shit. You gotta be precise and shit. That's really cool. How many instances would you, did you do that? Like, how many times someone's gonna, like, fucking ram a car through a fucking thing and blow up in front of, like, a billion people?
0: Apparently, you know, it happened pretty frequently.
1: Yeah. because.
0: There, uh, enough that they could make a business out of it
1: i want to re- i really want to read this novel is it based off of yeah. i know the novel has more shit in it like there's like ghosts and shit in it there's paranormal elements they cut out of this movie
0: yeah yeah the movie is really loosely based on the on the story yeah We get shots of the race as the Bone Jacker medical team prepares. And apparently in the future, everybody is wearing fire-resistant Mylar suits when they're doctors.
1: Something happened between now and 2009 that made that protocol.
0: (laughs) Well, there was was a virus outbreak that is killing a bunch of people. We'll learn that later on. As they approach the bridge, the car in front of Alex slows down suddenly, hitting Alex's front tire, launching his car up into the Nissan sign where it disintegrates in a ball of fire. That was so yeah. awesome. That was good.
1: Like it and it zooms in on his girlfriend's face and she screams. Like that whole yep. sequence was just fucking crazy.
0: It was it was it was pretty good there. Well, Alex slams down on the Bone Jacker on the table in the Bone Jacker medical facility. The Bone Jackers immediately roll out as doctors try to revive Alex, whose heart has stopped, though he appears completely uninjured. Just his heart stopped. They manage to revive Alex, so they're going to wrap him up in in Saran Wrap. Well, Vesendek has a little 16-bit Super Nintendo-style GPS, and he sees that there are people up ahead uh, on their route which is supposed to be clear uh, as they as they get closer to the area we can see that there are gunmen waiting on a rooftop up ahead inside the medical vehicle alex is conscious and talking and that was not supposed to happen that was not supposed to happen at all so they're going to lobotomize him because he's supposed to be brain dead <laughs> Well, as they move towards him with the lobotomizer, a bomb is set off, rocking the truck and allowing Alex to escape. The doctors are still trying to lobotomize Alex with this device. It's just got a wire sticking out of it, shooting sparks all over the place. Super OSHA violation, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure it looks
1: cool in the future, but now we live past 2009, so I'm not impressed. Yeah. Yeah. It it looks like... uh, in fact, the whole thing, like inside that little pod they're in, it's like all pink. It looks like uh like a spaceship or something. Yeah. Like from an Ed Wood movie. It's it's not like futuristic <laughs> at all. It looks like something from the fifties. They think is in the future.
0: Well, you know, when the truck started up, one of the doctors asked, What the hell was going on? And Vicendek's face popped up on a bank of like eight mini CRT displays going, We're leaving here now. Like everybody's gonna want to see stuff on multiple displays, like a video wall outside. gunmen have opened fire on the caravan and are blowing up random cars. Alex wrestles with the doctors in the medical as the medical room is in flames, and the lobotomizer is just swinging all around the room. He manages to use the lobotomizer on several of the doctors and escapes as the gunfire continues That was great, I like. The doctors making, like, goofy faces wearing medical masks and
1: then, like, a little cartoon (laughs) electricity go over them and they're, like, you know, stupid face,
0: like, that, bad, that, you know? Yep. Well, Alex is not the brightest guy in the world because he gets away and then he stays to watch the fight. (laughs) And he's hiding behind some trash cans and Vicendic turns and sees him. And as soon as Vicendic sees him, what does Alex do? He just very slowly stands up and says, here I am. <laughs> Which causes Vasindak to order his men to get the meat. And I don't know how that <laughs> didn't get used for a fast food commercial. <laughs> I guess if Arby's ever gets tired of paying Ving Rames, that's what they're going to use for their next commercial.
1: Mick Jagger saying, Get the meat. That's it. <laughs> hey, all right,
0: yeah, no, fuck it. I got the horsey snuff. We get a foot chase through Manhattan at night. Alex climbs up a wall and hails a cab. The cabbie pulls a gun and wants to be paid in advance, and he takes Alex's antique watch. Uh, the bonejackers chase after the cab, which causes the cabbie to immediately try to kill Alex for some reason. Yeah, I love that. He, like, just pulls. The, he's like, what the fuck you got me into? Puts a gun in that little
1: slot and just starts shooting wildly behind him. Yeah. And- yeah, Emilio just like no, no, thank you, and just rolls out the fucking cab.
0: Yeah, Alex bails out of the cab and hides as the cars just race past him. Next, we see Alex trying to get to Julie's apartment. There is a locked gate at the front door of the building for some reason, but a gunman lets lets Alex in when he, I guess, he recognizes Alex's name. So Alex runs up the stairs and rings the bell, but Julie doesn't answer. A strange man and a woman answer. The woman says they bought this apartment from Julie years ago. And when he tells him that uh, he was there with Julie just this morning, well, the woman realizes that Alex is a freejack, a hijacked body that has escaped the bonejackers. And they don't want anything to do with him. And a man threatens to shoot him if he doesn't leave right now. So Alex leaves as the Bone Jackers continue to search for him, announcing that anyone seen on the street will be shot. And when the Bone Jackers pass by, Alex looks around and he sees a big digital billboard that covers the entire side of a high rise building that proclaims the date November 23rd. 2009 it has been in the been future <laughs> <laughs> I love that Robin Williams bit about Epcot Center in the future we'll travel at the speed of light so we'll have to lose your luggage beforehand <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah love Robin Williams I was watching him do some uh, impersonations of Marlon Brando earlier this week oh jeez Oh, it was funny as shit. I was like, you know, blowing snot bubbles. It was I was laughing so hard. It was great.
0: I was watching him and Jonathan Winters on Johnny Carson. Oh yeah. They were great. And they were just going back and forth off each other. That was this kid on Mork and Mindy. Yeah, I know. It was <laughs> nuts. I loved that show. It was pretty good. It has been eighteen years since the race and the car crash that happened just a couple hours ago, maybe few minutes ago, and the world has gone all the way to shit. The New York skyline is covered with digital bulletin boards, digital billboards, including one that is advertising a suicide assistance hotline. Yeah. And before revealing the giant McCandless tower that dwarfs every other building in the New York skyline, including the twin towers of the World Trade Center. That did not exist in 2009. The tower is vaguely pyramid shaped with a lit up elevator running up the outside in a nostalgic nod to Blade Runner. Yeah. They, in
1: fact, it is like, let, we're just going to rip
0: off Blade Runner. I want Blade Runner cars,
1: which they did not get. They did not and, get. Yeah, at all. They didn't
0: even get Road Warrior cars. Eh, no, not really. <laughs> No, they got think, they got go karts with shiny sheet metal and big Beetle Bubble type cars.
1: Yeah, the the director ex- explicitly said, "I want them to look like Blade Runner, and I want them to look like uh, Mad Max for the yeah. the, the Bone Jackers." And they came back with that shit. Yeah, like a Jeep with some bubble plastic on it.
0: Well, Michelet and Earnhardt are going to break the bad news to Mr. McCandless that his new body has escaped. Uh, McCandless apparently died the day before, and his entire consciousness is being held digitally in the spiritual switchboard. They suggest that McCandless should consider an alternative body. McCandless is pictured here as in a kind of Emperor Palpatine-style black robe. Yeah. So when he turns around, it's revealed that he's Alex Furlong in that robe. But then he kind of glitches out, letting you know that this is actually a hologram. Cut to Alex breaking into some sort of building. Then we immediately cut to Michelet confronting Visendak about losing Furlong. Visendak is completely ignoring Michelette through this entire conversation and appears to be disassembling Michelette. Uh, antique Faberge egg. He's just taking parts of it off and sticking them in his pocket. He's talking. Uh, Michelet refuses to pay Vassendak, and he's going to replace him. But Vassendak insists that he will deliver Alec, as previously agreed. And he warns Michelet, "You can do whatever you want, just keep your people out of my way." Well, Michelet gets all pompous and asks, "Well, who do you think you're talking to?" To which Vassendak. Uh, Respond replies. I know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to an asshole, and he tosses (laughs) the broken Faberge egg back to him.
1: Just imagine if William Defoe was in this scene.
0: Yeah, like because better
1: this. I mean, it's he's not like scary at all. You know?
0: No, no, and his 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 nonchalant just doesn't play well. You know? Yeah. I mean, I get it. He's supposed to be like, I don't even
1: care. I'm such a badass, you know? I ain't afraid of exactly. this bitch. And it's yeah. coming off as like, I don't
0: know, just tone up or something. Yep. Just completely, I don't, I don't get it. Anyway, Alex wakes up in a church and a nun is walking toward him. So he thinks maybe he died. <laughs> <laughs> but then she's got a shotgun and wants to know who the fuck he is. Hell yeah. It's Amanda Plummer. I love her. It is Amanda Plummer. That's Christopher Plummer's daughter. She appeared opposite Robin Williams in The Fisher King. Best and Quentin Tarantino horror wrote the diner holdup scene in Pulp Fiction specifically for her.
1: She's great. She's great in everything she is. And uh, I've seen millions of her movies. She's been on TV a couple times. I like Amanda Yeah, she Plummer. was in Star Trek
0: to... Picard most recently. Yeah. And apparently over the last 18 years... The church has changed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alex tells the nun that he is a free jack. Meanwhile, Vesendak has programmed Alex's image into the vidphone system so that he'll be notified if uh, a vidphone camera picks Alex up. Now, all he's got to do is walk past one and it'll see kind of like a ring doorbell. Yeah. Vesendak and Ripper are discussing who could have sold out the convoy's route. And Vasendak orders Ripper to submit to a lie detector test. And Ripper does it, but he's obviously pissed off about it. He says, quite frankly, I'm surprised that you would test me. Vasendak says, I wasn't testing you. I was testing the machine, and it works. <laughs> <laughs> now I want you to test everybody else. I mean, so he's got one guy that he absolutely, completely trusts no matter what. At the church, the foul-mouthed nun, and man, has she got a potty mouth? Oh, yeah. She's checking the internet for information about Julie while she explains how bone jacking is. She can't find Julie, but she does find Brad Carter and gives Alex the address. She also gives Alex a trench coat to wear and a hat, uh, a Ralph Cramden-style hat. Yeah, they wanted to get the hat
1: from Young Guns 2 that Billy the Kid wore. Yeah. But uh, Lou Diamond Phillips stole it and couldn't. they couldn't get it from him. So <laughs> we had to try to get a hat close to it and we end up with this shit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and she gives him some food and a gun. Hell yeah. The New York streets are still crowded with people and they are now filled with ramshackle hun- huts and populated by surprisingly clean, healthy-looking people in shabby clothes. Yeah. They didn't put makeup on anybody. Anybody. Nah. You know, normally you see Shantytown, you see well, grubby, dirty people, but not in this movie. They put makeup on the, the, the
1: whores at the whorehouse, but that was about it. Those, they were the yeah. only ones that makeup. Everybody yeah. else is pretty much clean-shaven. Uh, they might have a jacket on with a hole, but it's, like, patched, you know, with some kind of, like, metal fiber yeah. type-looking shit. But, yeah.
0: uh, yeah. Alex stops and asks somebody for directions when a man with a gun walks up, grabs Alex to use as a human shield, and he shoots somebody else before running off. <laughs> uh, the gunfight quickly moves off down the street, and Alex finds the address he's looking for and runs inside. He's knocking on a door, calling to Brad, but not getting any answer. He heads down the hall and knocks on a few more doors, kind of leaning against the wall with his back turned to the door. When the door opens and Alex is grabbed and pulled inside by Brad, he knew Alex was still alive because the insurance company wouldn't pay pay out after the crash because they never could find Alex's body. Brad's true apartment is hidden behind a secret door. In the wall of this crappy apartment that they're, they're hiding out in. And Brad explains why the bone jackers took him. He also knows that Julie is an executive at McCandless Corporation, and Brad agrees to help Alex find Julie. Cut to Michelette, Earnhardt, and Julie in a high stakes business negotiation. They could lose the $3 billion deal over a disagreement about mineral rights. Julie thinks they're close to caving in on their demands, but Michelet tells her that he wants the mineral rights taken off the table. Just concede that point, get the deal, doesn't matter. Well, Julie stands up and she tells these Japanese businessmen in Japanese that Mr. Michelet demands that the mineral rights stay on the table. And she was right because the Japanese contingent agrees and McCandless is kind of uh, pissed off that she got what they were hoping to get, even though it meant not following his instructions. I don't know. I don't get it.
1: <laughs> no, that's what makes sense, man. Yeah. It's like uh, they kidnap the body in time and then it escapes and like they fight like hell to get it back. And like some crazy business shit's going on the entire time in the background.
0: Yeah. Well, Julie leaves to call Mr. McCandless, who appears to be in Sydney, and it is the worst green screen shit I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. But it's supposed to be the yeah. worst green screen shit. Uh, he said he wanted to be near the opera house for when the fat lady sings. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sure. Whatever you say, bud. And then he orders Julie to go to Tokyo right away to finish up another negotiation that's starting to unravel. Cut to Alex and Brad walking through the street. Uh, Brad is trying to coach Alex on how to look crappy. (coughs) Uh, They arrive at a diner where Brad is going to call Julie. He warns Alex about the vid phones tracking him and tells him to leave so that he can call Julie. So Alex sits down at a table and starts staring at some old guy who's just minding his own business, eating his own breakfast. He's not doing anything. And this guy's just staring him, just mean mugging him the whole time. The old guy looks at Alex and says, You keep looking at me, you'll see me kill you. (laughs) (laughs) And and pulls out his gun. Well, Alex pulls out his own gun. And just keep staring at him. That's when Brad comes back and says, quit being an asshole. Also, he didn't talk to Julie, but he talked to her car. And a limo is going to pick him up in five minutes.
1: That sounds shady as shit, man.
0: It does. Uh, Alex starts to get suspicious. And uh, that's when the Bone Jackers show up. It turns out that Brad sold Alex out for the reward. So a shootout ensues in the diner and Brad is killed. The Bone Jackers chase Alex, shooting like stormtroopers. They're shooting stun guns so that they, they don't actually damage his body, but they can knock him out. And it looks yeah. like little blue laser rifles, like like the uh, Rebellion laser pistol, laser blaster. Stormtroopers like, were red and the Rebellions were blues. So.
1: It's more like G.I. Joe kind of lasers, though. Yeah. It's like,
0: cute, cute, cute.
1: And uh yeah and he's got like a real gun right and they got right. laser pistols.
0: Yeah. It's bullets versus lasers. And everybody's so, a bad shot. So there are stunners which is what the bonejackers are using. They will take somebody out without doing any physical damage whatsoever. And then there's hard ammunition the, the actual bullets that Alex is using. Old school because the, later on we'll hear We'll hear Vasendak yell to somebody who's using hard ammunition. So this is this is not an uncommon thing for yeah. People. Well, a couple of guys are chasing Alex through an alleyway on motorcycles. So Alex pushes a stack of pallets in front of the, one of the motorcycles, launching the rider up into the air, allowing Alex to steal the motorcycle. And here comes another chase.
1: <laughs> of course.
0: They're riding their motorcycles through buildings. Through a different diner, kind of like the Blues Brothers scene where they're doing the chase through the shopping mall.
1: Exactly like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And out onto the street where Alex escapes. Actually, Alex, in that diner
1: scene, he comes back, and he gets the the old guy that had the gun that was threatening him. Yeah. Like, right before he goes out the window, it's the same old guy.
0: Okay. Well, there's a scene of Alex riding across the bridge, and then he crashes a checkpoint. And the camera picks him up and notifies Ripper and Victor. Meanwhile, in Battery Park, Julie is stopping at her apartment before heading to Tokyo. The cars in this area look like beetle-shaped go-kart. It's crazy. The buses? The buses look like little caterpillars.
1: Yeah, it's so cute. Bullet train caterpillars. Yeah, it's worse than the future cars in Demolition Man, and that was pretty bad.
0: (laughs) Well, inside her apartment. Julie heads into the bathroom to find Alex there. She's convinced he is an imposter who stole Alex's body. Meanwhile, bonejackers are converging outside the apartment building. Alex tries to convince Julie that he is who he says he is, and he asks her how she asked him how he got in, and he says the door was just open so I came in. <laughs> so she immediately goes to her security panel. And asks who accessed the door. And the computer says that only authorized access has taken place. So she Ah. tells the computer to notify security that there is an intruder in her apartment. Because apparently Alex is lying. Or this isn't Alex. One of the two. I think she's. Kind of halfway convinced it's not Alex. Uh, Alex leaves the apartment just as the Bone Jackers arrive. They blow the door open to the apartment, and Victor just walks in and asks where Alex. Apparently, he knew Alex would be there. So, Alex goes down to the parking garage, and he steals this goofy-looking champagne delivery truck (laughs) that kind of looks like, oh, it looks like some of those... A uh, gypsy caravan wagon. I don't
1: know. To me, it looks like a party barge, kind of. A
0: little bit. A little bit, yeah.
1: But, like, smaller. like Or, like, a fucking, like a, like a, like those little boats in Amsterdam, you know? Yeah. Like one of those.
0: Well, the Bone Jackers give chase, and we get another car chase. And it's only, it's been, like, uh, two and a half minutes, so time for another car chase.
1: The movie's, like, 90% car chases.
0: It really is. Race through the streets and out onto the sidewalks as pedestrians jump out of the way, sounding exactly like James Brown.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Instead of a Willem scream, they used James Brown's uh, screech. Yes, they sure did. That was pretty cool. They don't do that enough. They need to do that more.
0: <laughs> you know, that that scream at the end of, at the beginning of, I feel good.
1: Yeah, yeah that's that one.
0: That one. That's exactly that Willem, what that they use.
1: That scream is getting, like, worn out like that one you know they use in star wars and like every video game ever that oh you know that shit. yeah yeah that's getting played out they need to replace it with like james bond and uh that goofy mm-hmm. when like goofy falls off a mountain <laughs> it's kind of like a noodling scream you know yeah you know, that shit.
0: <laughs> well there's more car chase with go-karts flipping over for no reason Victor appears on the laptop inside Alex's stolen truck and taunts him. I love that. You know, the laptop is open on the console there and and his Vicendex face just shows up on there and says, Hey, this is fun. Where are we going? Yeah. <laughs> and uh and Alex reaches over and he slams the lid shut on the laptop and it just pops back open. Hey, that doesn't stop me. Now, Visendak and Alex trade insults as Alex heads toward a trailer. The trailer just cuts the top right off the truck, and, which just keeps going without damaging the trailer. Those trailers are made out of the thinnest sheet metal ever. That's so damn. Um, and and this is what gets me. The giant champagne truck gets the top cut off and then runs right under the trailer. The itty-bitty yeah. go-kart, it hits the trailer and explodes. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, that's the movie. <laughs> one, one hits, one hits
1: the, the truck and it immediately explodes. The other one flips over somehow yeah. and then explodes. So they both explode, but one flipped over somehow by hitting the rear okay. of the
0: trailer. It was weird. Yeah. Well, there are more fiery crashes inside a tunnel. Victor says he's... um. <laughs> Alex asks Victor, he says, how am I doing? Not bad. (laughs) (laughs) And they race on to a bridge that is closed for construction. And Alex jumps out of the truck and into the East River and swims away.
1: Mere seconds before hitting that fucking sign.
0: Yeah. This is a guy who crashed into a bridge just yesterday. And apparently he's so fearless that he's going to crash Again today. Well, he's like Formula
1: One racer. So he's yeah. a daredevil, I guess. I don't know.
0: Yeah. It's Emilio
1: yeah. Estevez, damn it.
0: Right. He can do whatever he wants.
1: I was a mighty duck.
0: <laughs> I play hockey with kids. You can't scare me. Yeah. <laughs> Cut back to Julie in her apartment. She has apparently taken a shower and she's staring at. Brad's coat and hat or Alex's coat and hat and the pendant that she had given Alex before his race 18 years earlier. Meanwhile, Alex climbs out of the East River near a hobo camp under a bridge. There is a philosophical old man. He is called Eagle Man in the credits. He never actually has a name. uh, He offers Alex some river rat. Alex asks him, how can you eat that? So the guy goes into great detail on the correct way to prepare River Rat. He's very helpful with that. <laughs> and Alex, Alex, is, Alex isn't into it. Uh, it doesn't sound like he's very interested in trying River Rat. So, But apparently River Rat is most of what Eagle Man eats. Apparently appa- everything just completely went to shit after the 10-year depression. So we got 10 years of depression and some bizarre virus, and everything has just completely collapsed. And so the only thing that's left in the world is the super rich and the completely destitute, and there's nobody in between. That sounds like the stone skinny oven. Yeah. <laughs> Alex asked, What's the point? The eagle Man asked Alex if he's ever seen an eagle fly through all kinds of hardship to get almost back to his nest, and then say, yeah, fuck it, I don't want to be an eagle anymore, and fall to the ground dead. Alex says, no, I've never seen that. Uh, And Eagle Man says, me either, because eagles have too much self-respect. And Alex is really inspired by this, and decides to just keep going all of a sudden. So he heads off, and we discover that Eagle Man, he knew who Alex was all along. Don't know who Eagle Man was, but he knew Alex. Cut to Julie talking about finding Alex. She is talking to her chauffeur slash bodyguard Boone, and Alex is stopping is is walking through a slum, and he stops to look at a baby while a man plays sad saxophone in the doorway. There's lots of sad saxophone in this movie.
1: It was early '90s, man. They yeah they started that shit with like Lethal Weapon, and like then there's like every like big thing, big budget movie in the 90s had, like, saxophone music in the background.
0: Well, every New York cop drama on TV had a a guy playing saxophone on the street. Oh, yeah. I
1: I blame Mike Hammer, man.
0: (laughs) We can blame Mike Hammer for a lot of things.
1: Yeah. I used to watch the shit
0: out of that. Well, that night Julie arrives at the slum. Boone tells Julie that Alex is not here, but she heads in anyway to look for him. She looks around and says, well, maybe it wasn't him I saw come in here. And that's when Alex comes out of the shadows and says, yeah, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> He's the believe... worst hide-and-seek player ever. Yeah, I want to <laughs> believe that
1: scene went a lot different and then, like, they did this and reshoots because that was just stupid as fuck. Yeah, it really was. Like, the shit that they should have reshot, they didn't. And then they just added a bunch of action scenes, action like, Ungodly amount of car chasing.
0: So apparently, Julie believes that Alex is who he says he is now because she found out that Vesendak opened the door to let Alex into her apartment and set them both up. So now so- Julie's going to help Alex. And they see this was funny as hell. They see a billboard advertising that the reward for recovering Alex is now $10 million. That's way too much. Damn, thanks, babe. All right, shit. Yeah. In the car, Julie calls Morgan and says she needs his help. He offers to meet her at a club called the Revolution. It seems Morgan helps people on the run escape from whoever they're running from. Inside the club, Julie tells Alex to keep a low profile and meet her at the bar after she finds Morgan. Soon as she says this, I know Alex is gonna get fucked up at the bar.
1: Yeah. If you tell
0: somebody, keep a low profile, it means they're going to blow it. And sure enough, Alex walks to the bar, somebody offers him a drink, and it turns out to be drugged. (laughs) The bar has its own TV channel, apparently. And a reporter with a cameraman walks up to Alex and just sticks a microphone in his face and starts asking him questions.
1: It's uh, Mick Jagger's boy.
0: Yeah. Next thing you know, Alex is on TV. And Vicendac, he gets an alert about this. The reward has gone up to $15 million now. So Morgan and Julie, they they know everything's going to go bad. And they throw a little flashbang grenade, grab Alex, and run out of there. And they make their escape to one of Morgan's safe houses. But Morgan isn't going to help them past this point. He says this is too big for him. He's out. Morgan... Tells Julie the best thing she can do is take Alex back to McCandless. She tells him, so Julie goes and she calls uh, Mr. McCandless. She tells him that she isn't in Tokyo as instructed, and he seems really, really concerned about that. Meanwhile, Alex and Morgan are talking about Julie McCandless. Well, he can't tell Julie who paid for Alex's body. Julie wants to know who the client is, who called for that. and hes, yeah. I the, all our, all of our folks are guaranteed complete secrecy, and yeah, I own the company that owns this thing, but even I can't access it. Man, that's Apple such, tried such... to pull that, and the FBI said, "Yeah, fucking just unlock the phone." Yeah, and they did. <laughs> <laughs> In the bedroom of the safe house, Julie tells Alex that Morgan has left. She is conflicted because 18 years have passed because they try to throw a little love story in this chase movie. Yeah. It's a car, it's a sci fi movie turned into a car chase movie that they try to throw a love story in.
1: They fucked this up.
0: Yeah. 18 years have passed since Julie last saw Alex, but of course she still loves him. Also, she kind of watched him die and then grieved and then got on with her life and almost two decades passed. Yeah. Meanwhile, in his office, Michelette is watching the footage of the crash that killed Alex 18 years earlier. He's also questioning the foul-mouthed nun. <laughs> and he slaps her and says that she's lying to him. And she just gets this bizarre grin. Jesus always said to turn the other cheek, but I guess he never had to deal with assholes like you and just kicks Michelette right in the nuts and floors him.
1: They needed more of her in this movie, man.
0: They needed a lot more of her. She was She was awesome. We could yeah. have taken Julie out completely and let him run off with the nun. That would have been fantastic. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Julie tells Alex that McCandless has arranged for a boat to pick Alex up and take him somewhere. And as they drive there, Julie says she is not coming with him. She has a life that she is not going to give up for something that she moved on from 18 years. And they say their goodbyes, and Alex heads to the boat. Meanwhile, Boone and Alex are talking. Boone is escorting Alex down the pier to the boat. And Boone... Well, Boone's grandmother is a fan of Alex. It turns out that Alex is kind of a counterculture hero now. And, uh, you know, Boone Boone is going to do whatever he can to help Alex. They get to the boat, and there's no crew anywhere in sight. And instead of getting on the boat, you know, Alex says, you still think this is safe? And about that time, the boat just explodes. <laughs>
1: That's great. This is the but- timing of that. shit. It-
0: yeah, Vicendac appears on the roof behind him with his bone jackers and they are blocking the way back. They're going to take Alex, but then one of Vicendac's cars blows up for some reason and the chase starts all over again. We get more bullets versus laser rifles as Boone and Alex run through the buildings at the dock. Michelette orders Alex killed along with Vicendac and all of his bonejackers. Boone... And and Alex are kind of uh, shooting it out with these guys. And Boone says, cover me. He circles around behind them and uh, and he shoots all three of them. And he calls for Alex to come join him. But apparently one of the guys wasn't dead and he shoots Boone. So Boone does the only thing that makes sense in a science fiction story. He pulls a sword from somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where he got the sword. Or why he had a gun in his hand, but instead he opts to stab this guy through the chest with a sword. Because cyberpunk, like, because,
1: like, it, yeah, it's like, you know, there's ripping off Blade Runner and, like, there's always, like, some samurai and cyberpunk shit and. Yeah. So, yeah, of course he had a
0: sword. I mean, nobody had a sword. Uh, apparently he just found it lying on this barricade where these guys were shooting at him from. Yeah. Is, I don't, I don't know. Just, just why? I blame
1: William Gibson.
0: (laughs) Well, Boone tells Alex to grab some of these guys' guns and run before more people get there. Uh, Alex needs answers, though. He runs off into the night, but Vasendek is not far behind. And as the Bone Jackers find Boone, Boone sets off a grenade, killing them and himself. In a room full of hanging wires, the Bone Jacker gets the drop on Alex and disarms. It's crazy. It's just this room, and there's wires hanging down like crazy vines or tree roots, but, you know, there's nothing, none of that around. It's just, just loose wires hanging from the ceiling, a forest of them. Yeah. Uh, but Alex runs away, and the chase is on again through an abandoned factory that's full of barrels for Alex to tip over. He starts to duck under some machinery, and the Bone Jacker, he catches up, and he sees the little flat rubber flaps flapping like Alex crawled in there. So he goes to look, but Alex comes up behind him with a metal pipe and just elk a him. <laughs> but the Bone Jacker thug has on a helmet that does exactly what a helmet is supposed to do and protects him from getting hit in the head. <laughs> and he stands up, and this is going to be a fist fight now. Uh, the thug loses his gun. Alex falls down, and he grabs for the gun just as the thug steps on Alex's arm. He's about to shoot Alex, but Alex remembers, reminds him, hey, 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 he doesn't want me injured, stunners only. And then Alex fires the stun gun at a steel beam, and you see the little lightning arc go up the beam and across another beam and down the wire that just happens to be touching the thug and electrocutes him.
1: (laughs) Wily Coyote shit.
0: Yeah. Alex then takes the thug's helmet, none of the rest of his armor, just his helmet, and continues his escape. So now he looks like one of the guys in Spaceballs. (laughs) Yeah. With a big round helmet on and a little bitty gun. And we see Vesendek tracking him. Alex is hiding behind some pipes in this factory. And Vesendek walks directly toward him. And he sees Alex. Alex sees him. And Alex is about to shoot him. But before he can do anything, a group of Michelet men, they run in and they open fire on Vesendek. They're about to toss a grenade at at Sendak when Alex distracts them and he sets up a crossfire with the and they take out all of Michelet. Alex and Victor face off and Alex wants to know who's behind all this, but Victor won't tell him. And then he changes his mind for some reason and tells him that it's Ian McCandless. Ian McCandless is the one behind all of it. Now Alex is surrounded by jackers and Victor is, um, Victor's got him and it looks like the chase is over. Except it really isn't. For some reason, Victor Vicendac is going to give Alex a five minute head start so they can continue the chase because we've, the, the the movie could have been 20 minutes shorter without this bit, but you know, why not? I, well, it's supposed to see like
1: the syndic kind of sees him as like a fucking, you know, he like respects him and shit.
0: Yeah. Kind of,
1: you know, it's, 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 it's shit. I don't know. That's what they were going for. But what we got was like, oh, okay. So there's like two more car chases left to go in this movie. Gotcha.
0: And to try to make it funny, Vicendic just puts his hand over his eyes and starts counting one Mississippi, two Mississippi. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Alex takes off running and here we go again. The Bone Jacker armored truck comes barreling down the street toward Alex and he shoots at it with his pistol. The truck stops right in front of him and reveals that Julie is driving. She stole the truck.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they take off together. Uh, Alex tells her McCandless is trying to kill him, and now he doesn't trust her at all. So she calls Michelet. <laughs> Alex gets on the—she uh, calls Michelet. Michelette says, is there somebody there with you? And Alex leans over so that he's in the camera shot. He says, it's me, Alex. And I got a gun to Julie's head. Yeah, I, I can see that. It's a video phone, dude. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it was 1992. It was pre FaceTime. Yeah. Well, Michelette tells them, you know, McCandless is not there, but they can come to his office. He'll make sure they get into the building safely and they can wait in his office until McCandless returns. And they agree to that. Meanwhile, Ripper is tracking the GPS in the stolen vehicle. They know exactly where these guys are going. So no no big deal to catch up with. Alex and Julie are on an escalator that goes way up as the Bone Jackers converge on the McCandless Corp. headquarters. Guards in the lobby allow them to get on the elevator, and then they all point their guns at the elevator door like we already don't know that this is a one-way trip.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Ripper is tracking them as they move through the office building now as they enter Michelette's office. Uh, Alex still has the gun on Julie. Uh, Michelette says, "Yeah, know, why, why don't we just cut the crap? And he starts showing Alex video of the crash and Julie's reaction. And he says, you're obviously in love with her. There's no way in hell you're going to shoot her. And he's right. Um, Julie wants to talk to Mr. McCandless. Mr. McCandless, he says, is in the next office. So they go in there, and there lies Mr. McCandless's dead body in his glass coffin. Apparently, the virus killed him three days earlier. Michelet, though, he says he is definitely not delivering Alec to McCandless. It is time for a change, and he is going to take over the company. He says that Alex and Julie can go do whatever the hell they want. Uh, by the way, Julie's fired. <laughs> and she slaps him on the way out. And they get back in the elevator and head down 100 floors to the lobby. Alex says, you know, this was way too easy. And in his office, Michelette calls down to the guards in the lobby to tell them that, that, that Alex and Julie are coming. And as soon as they get off the elevator, kill them. So he was right. It was. It's quiet. Almost too quiet. quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Julie's pretty certain that they're going to be killed when they get to the lobby. Uh, She says they might be able to get out the back entrance if the lobby's clear, but Alex only has one bullet left, and he asks if he thinks the guard, if she thinks the guards will all stand in a straight line so Uh that he can just shoot them all at once. Yeah, that's not going to happen. The elevator doors open. The guards are about to shoot Alex and Julie, and that's when Vesendak and his bonejackers show up and shoot all the guards.
1: How convenient.
0: Very convenient. Well, during all the gunfire, Julie closes the door and hits the button to send the elevator back up to the 100th floor. Except, well, the elevator doesn't stop at the 100th floor. It just keeps on going. In fact, they're going all the way up to the 200th floor. That's where the spiritual switchboard is. They are going all the way to the top (laughs) because Mr. McCandless is now in control of the elevators.
1: The dead guy.
0: The dead guy, yes.
1: Okay, I just want to make sure.
0: The dead guy whose brain is being contained entirely within the spiritual switchboard, which apparently has access to the controls of the entire building, kind of like Lawnmower Man.
1: So it's a whole-ass building. Powered by some dead millionaires' uh, cyber brain.
0: That's what it seems like. But here's the thing, though. Right. He's not the only one that uses that. They rent this out to other super rich people. So yes, those people also would have had control of his entire building too. Spiritual switchboard. I don't know. It's just crazy. It's loony. It's the last
1: dimension <laughs> movie.
0: Bringing out all the loony shit. All of it. Inside the spiritual switchboard is a place of tubular corridors with iris doors. Alex (laughs) calls out to McCandless and a giant eye appears on a big video wall. Also, as soon as the eye shows up in this completely closed windowless room, the wind starts blowing Julie's hair around.
1: Yeah, that's where it gets like line one man real quick.
0: Yeah. The eye becomes our standard wormhole animation, and then we are inside the matrix in a lawnmower man effect that leaves Julie and Alex standing outside an old temple. It was actually a pretty cool effect. I liked it.
1: Yeah, it is alright, but it reminds me of like like those old magic eye VHS like shit things that they used to have, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Out walks a hologram of Ian McCandless, who explains his master plan. The goal was to take over Alex's body because he knew that Julie still had feelings for Alex. And he, Mr. McCandless, was also in love with Alex. So he was going to have his mind implanted in Alex's body. And then she'll surely fall in love with him.
1: He was in love with Julie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was just going to, like, yeah, I'm, I'll just still uh my secretary's uh ex fiances body and then you know she'll love me and work for me and I'll be just like the happiest rich guy in the world.
0: Yeah, exactly. Plus I get to be Emilio Estevez. Yeah, exactly. You get to be Emilio Estevez. It's like one of those dateline stories. I'll i I'll make sure she falls in love with me. I'll kill her husband. And wear his face. <laughs> <laughs> Well, McCandless calls Vicendak and orders him to call off the pursuit of Alex. He said, "You're going to get paid in full, don't worry." It is procedure 217, two just like we talked about. Now that should have tipped everybody off right there. He's, he's talking in code. He doesn't mean what he's saying. He is, um, then he tells Alex and Julie that, you know, he has been a, a right asshole. And because of that, he's going to sentence himself to death. Alex and Julie can live happily ever after, and he, Mr. McCandless, will die. Uh, Everything will look like the consciousness transfer had already taken place, but Alex will still be Alex, and everything McCandless owns will be owned by Alex. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Also, Julie will coach Alex to impersonate Mr. McCandless. And Julie is on board with this right away. A console shaped like a big child jack toy pops up out of the floor. And a ball on top opens. And all Alex has to do is key in the sequence of numbers that he sees there and hit the delete button. And that will delete Mr. McCandless from the spiritual switchboard. But it doesn't work. So he tries it again. It tells him to try it again. That's when Alex realizes McCandless is stalling. and. Yeah, he's right, because that's when Vesendek arrived, and they grab Alex and Julie. Victor Vesendek <laughs> mentions that he really likes Alex. I think you were on to something there with the chase. He, he says, you don't make friends too easily in this business. Yeah. Alex says, who said we were friends? Um, so they're going to go ahead with the consciousness transfer, and they start everything, and you can see flashbacks of alex's memories and they're all being wiped out one by one um julie uh sees an opportunity as Michelette enters the spiritual switchboard and she steals the gun away from one of the bone jacker thugs that's holding her and she shoots the consciousness transfer crystal of course it's a crystal what else yeah. would it be <laughs> she shoots the crystal um, disrupting the whole process. And, uh, he asked the technician, you know, did, did the transfer take place or not? And he says, well, it was only like 22 seconds and we've had them take place in that amount of time, but we've also had them take longer. So I don't really know. So the only way to be sure is for, um, is for McCandless to recite, His personal ID number. Something that only Ian McCandless would know.
1: Yeah, like his pen number.
0: Yeah. And he's thinking, trying to remember it. And he can't remember it. Michelet says, shoot him. That's that's not McCandless. And Alex starts saying numbers. He says, six. And Vicendous, correct. Proceed. And he keeps saying more numbers and more numbers and more numbers. And it starts off kind of like a a slow clap
1: yeah
0: starts off real slow and then he starts saying faster and faster and faster and he rattles off the final numbers and Michelet is starting to panic he says no 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 you can no it's not you and he takes out a gun and he's about to shoot Alex when the bone jackers open fire and kill Michelet Alex uh, is apparently Mr. McCandless now says, it's good to have him back He says, it's good to be back and then um McCandless tells the tells the men to prepare his car. Then he turns to Julie. That you will be dressed in something appropriate and accompany me. down at the lobby. There is a like an antique Rolls Royce parked there. Yeah, McCandless, who is in Alex's body now, tells his driver, "I'll be driving today." He and Julie get in, and they take off, and they go down the road. They get stopped by a train. And when the train passes, there stands Vicendac with all of his bone
1: jackers.
0: (laughs) Vicendac walks up to the window and he says, I knew all I had to do was wait long enough and you'd make a mistake. Ian McCandless couldn't drive. (laughs) And Julie is kind of awestruck at this point. She doesn't know quite what's going on. And Vicendac looks to her and says, you're going to have to coach him better than that from now on. (laughs) So it turns out that Alex really is Alex after all. And Julie asks, is that really you? And he says the same thing that he sold her before the race. He says, nibble my ear for luck. Oh,
1: corny ass shit.
0: And she says, what about the ID number? And Vasendak re- uh, reveals that he lied about the whole damn thing. <laughs> he um apparently wanted to keep his job, wanted to get paid millions of dollars, didn't want to have to deal with douchebag Michelette and saw Alex as a way to make that happen. Then Vesendek and his mo- men move on, and Alex and Julie head on their way, and roll credit. Roll credit. I still think they could have cut a half an hour out of this movie and it had been just as good. Well, nah. It could have been the same thing, just
1: less chases and more like character development. Yeah, it could have been more sci-fi and been yeah. better. In fact, like, <laughs> that whole thing where he's seen as, like, a underground hero. Right. That should have been, like, the storyline. Like That also should have like, been
0: the story, yeah. And like book, Running Man.
1: Yeah, and the book, like, it's thousands of years in the future, and no one he knows is alive, you know? Okay. And so, like, it's, like, more of, like, you know, a Rip Van Winkle, and, like, then he, like, sees how fucked up and corrupt the future is, and he fights it, you know? And in yeah, this, it's it's, kind
0: of, kind of, kind of really, really far fetched that there would be a complete total collapse of civilization in just 18 years.
1: Yeah. That's less than two decades. And like everything's different. People are just yeah. like main people in the past and shit. I don't know, man. It's just fucked up. Yep. Also, when this came out in the theater, everybody slammed the director, you know, Anthony Hopkins, yep. the worst movie he's ever been in.
0: He said Uh, that on Letterman.
1: Yeah. Emilio Acevedo said, hey, this fucker doesn't know what he's doing. He's concentrating on all the action. And, you know, we had to reshoot, you know, car chase after car chase. And that really all came from the studio. And the director took it, and it it killed his career, kind of. Yeah. And it was
0: bullshit. All right, man. That's a podcast. Hell, Yeah.